0: I think I'm the perfect example of the American dream. I probably uh, accomplished more than I deserve, and in, in, in mainly because I dodged so many bullets. And that's not because you know I'm any better than anybody else. I've been luckier.
1: That was the voice of arguably the best driver in any level of racing mario andretti he sat down with the podcast this week and our conversation was so wide-ranging we talked about what he thinks of the sport right now what he thinks about what kyle larson is doing in nascar and also every other level of racing and we had a really emotional conversation about his nephew john andretti who passed away after a battle with stage four colon cancer so that's coming up in the episode this is the Sports Extra podcast. I'm Ali Barubi. I'm going to bring in producer Shiner here later in the episode, but uh, it's just me today. And so we're going to see where my brain takes us, see where we go. I'm excited for this episode because I think we're starting to dive into some really powerful conversations with some really impressive people. Today, as I was driving in to record this podcast, the word I was thinking of is dominance and that's kind of the theme for this episode in the sense that mario andretti a dominant driver whenever he was in a car um, he's 81 now so i don't think he does too much racing but he's still heavily involved in the sport heavily involved with a number of drivers his sons his nephews they're all involved in racing And, and the andretti family has been synonymous with winning that's what they are they're winners uh and i think when I was thinking about who do we want on the podcast this week, and um, for those of you who don't follow me on social media, you would have followed my Chronicles of Sunburns this <laughs> this weekend. I laugh about it because I'm in pain, uh, but I went to Pocono Raceway, NASCAR doubleheader. I was there on Sunday for like 12 hours. We were in the pits. We were all over the place, um, and if you've ever been to Pocono Raceway, you know there is absolutely no shade there absolutely nowhere for a, a pale person like myself to get some relief from a 90 plus degree day. So um, I, I got a little sunburnt, But as I was baking in the sun, as I was sitting there trying to, to stave off a heat stroke, drinking as much water as I could, I was brainstorming podcast ideas, because we all know I'm a psychopath. And when I was sitting there, I was thinking, look at what Kyle Larson is doing in NASCAR. This is a driver who in eight of his last nine races has finished in the top two headed into pocono he had won four in a row this guy cannot be stopped the only reason that he did not finish uh first on saturday at pocono was because he blew his uh, front tire in the last turn of the race so uh, he finished in ninth still top 10 finish then on sunday the whole i mean they talked about this a lot in the doubleheader. they were reworking cars they were you know trying to, to bump things out if there was any damage on the nose like it was a crazy doubleheader. everyone in nascar says it's it's tough to do to run two cup series races in back-to-back days Um and there's restrictions on what you can and can't do to the car you can't bring in a new one you know yada 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 but uh larson hated his car on sunday it, it was he was struggling he was in and out of the pits constantly they were pulling out the front they were changing tires they were doing the whole the whole deal And as you're watching this, you're like, wait a second. He's the hard charger. He's going to the front of the pack. The dude finished in second. And so when you think about this, he's unhappy with his weekend, and he has two top 10 finishes, a second place on Sunday. Um, And then he drives right in here to central Pennsylvania for the 31st annual Pennsylvania Speed Week 10 nights of dirt track sprint car 410 racing. in 10 consecutive days. And Larson says, you know what? I'll run back to backs at Pocono, and then I'm gonna run four straight nights of PA Speed Week. His first night on Monday, he finished in third. His second night, uh, that would have been Tuesday night at Grandview, he wins the thing. This man has 14 wins across the country on so many different levels of racing. And so I sat there and I was thinking about Larson and I thought, who can we compare him to? And the only person I could possibly consider, and, and it's still a stretch because Larson is still so young, I think he's, you know, 30, if if 30, was Mario Andretti, because Andretti, he raced Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, midgets, sprints. He raced everything, and he won at all levels. He's the only driver to have won the Indianapolis 500, a NASCAR Cup Series race, and a Formula One race. He has over 100 wins across all circuits, all levels. And what he did for the sport as an immigrant to the United States, putting US racing kind of on the map in a time where, um, you know, there wasn't as much media coverage as there is now, but everyone knew who he was. That is Mario Andretti. And this is our interview. Mario Andretti. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Um, First of all, when I looked you up, I know what you've done in your racing career, but I noticed you've made a little home for yourself here in Pennsylvania. You've lived all over the world. You've raced all over the world. What is it about Pennsylvania that that works for you?
0: Well, that's easy. In fact, uh, when uh, we immigrated to the United States, this was our, our first home, Nazareth, and um, I never left. I think a lot had to do, obviously, with uh, my parents uh, uh, being here and uh, my wife uh, Deanne's parents also. Uh, and uh, my travel was always, as you said, all over the world. And, and I could have probably lived anywhere, I suppose. Uh, uh, I had a lot of pressure to uh, move to the West Coast because uh, in the U.S., I was driving for most teams that were based there. And I don't know why they wanted me in the shop. I'm not a mechanic, so uh, but I resisted that. And um, happily, so, you know, so my home has been uh, uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, ever since I arrived here in the United States at age 15.
1: Something I've loved. I I've, uh, grew up in Virginia, moved to Pennsylvania, not nearly the, the travels that you made, but um, there's so much diversity here in sports and um, all different levels and passion. And the racing community in Pennsylvania is, is some of the best fans uh, around the world. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, yes, yeah, it's strong. Obviously, uh, motor racing has been very prominent here from the very beginning, I started racing, uh, my career started right here in Nazareth, you know, in 1959. So, um, and uh, within like 150 mile radius are all types of tracks. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, Pocono, when uh, it was first established in 1970, you know, has been uh, the one that, um, you know, it's just a super speedway that uh, has been hosting IndyCars and NASCAR over all these years and an extremely popular venue.
1: This past weekend, uh, you know, the NASCAR was at Pocono since you brought it up. um, And the driver, while he didn't win for the first time in a long time, um, Kyle Larson, he's been in the top two, if not winning races on the Cup Series for NASCAR. Um, He wins just about everywhere he races, no matter the model or anything like that. What do you think about what he's been able to do, Kyle Larson, uh, right now, in this racing environment.
0: Well, I, I've been pretty open, actually, uh, even tweeting, uh, congratulating him and on all of his, uh, uh, you know, great victories that he's had. But uh, he's been winning, you know, for for, for many years, you know, in uh, sprint cars and midgets and so sort on, of support. That even then. Uh, traveling all over the place, you know, during the week, you know, the uh, holiday season, he's, uh, he's going to, uh, you know, to uh, Australia and New Zealand and all that. And, uh, but, but uh, he's one of those guys that uh, likes to be in that race car, uh, you know, three, four times a week. And that's the way I used to be. So I sort of, uh, you know, relate to some degree, but uh, the, the bottom line, however, is that uh, I've seen him to be so versatile, like a uh, uh, you know, wherever he goes, he doesn't go just there to race, to win. And uh, and what really drove it home for me was also that uh, you know, when he reached the top level in NASCAR, and now with the uh, with Hendricks group, you know, he just, he has the, the equipment that's cap- really capable of winning, and he's making the best of it. But, as I said, his versatility aspect really impressed me, especially when he won at Sonoma. Not just on a mile and a half or a super speedway but on a road course that speaks volumes to me and uh, so i i'm one one of the fans uh, that really appreciates what he's doing quite honestly and, and uh and i'm speaking loudly you know about it um i remember one point when he was driving with chip ganassi uh, chip asked me if uh, chip was a good friend uh, you know and he says mario says what do you think should i let kyle do all those sprint car races, race, you know, the, the night before he comes here. I said, absolutely. Don't you dare <laughs> stop him. And uh, he wouldn't have stopped anyway, like I was. You know, I had contracts and I didn't care. You know, I just did my own thing. But um, anyway, he's something special. And um, I predict that he's the, the next new NASCAR superstar. No question about it. Kudos to, to Ray Hendricks for giving him the opportunity to come back uh, to his team. And uh, I I truly appreciate that fact.
1: I think that speaks volumes, what you just said. Just, you know, you can't keep him out of a car. You couldn't keep you out of a car. For those of us who will never be a driver on the level that you guys are, uh, how difficult is it? I mean, he, I talked to him, um, he's at Pennsylvania speed week this week here in central Pennsylvania racing in a sprint car, you know, for a couple thousand dollars a night. And he said it used to be difficult to switch back and forth, but now it's just what he's used to. So it doesn't even bother him. Different cars, different surfaces, doesn't matter, but is it difficult to keep this pace up where he's racing multiple times a week in different models all over the country? Um, what do you think about the difficulty level?
0: Well, it's difficult to some degree, but uh, I think you're driven by passion, you know, to do something like that. You don't do it, you know, for any other reason. You know, basically, it's something that you love, something that gives you the satisfaction that you're looking for. And, you know, that's what drove me. You know, it's just that I just wanted to to, uh, to, to, to deal with uh, all of these different disciplines and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and I got, again, What I got out of it is something that I I don't even know how to explain, but the challenges are great. And the greater the challenges, you know, the more you're interested, the more you're curious, you know, can I do that, you know, that type of thing. It's almost like, you know, uh, you can specialize in any discipline in our sport, which is fine. Many people do that and totally happy and it's fine. But to be able to go out of your specialty, for, for instance, and playing somebody else's sandbox and winning at their own game is something very special, Allie. I can tell you that.
1: I think it's got to be a lot of fun, too. Just mix it up, see something different. Uh, and he was out there with his family, and, and I think you've done that, too, with your family. Um, it's not just Mario Mondretti and you, Race. This is a, a family empire you guys have built. To be able to have the success you've had and do it with your family, what does that mean to you?
0: Well, there's a lot of pride that goes into that, of course. I mean, uh, I always say my my twin brother Aldo says he and I started this mess, you know, and somewhere along the line, you know, we're both in the third generation drivers and, uh, you know, along the way, uh, there's so many great moments, you know, that uh, I have had and he's had, but um, myself, you know, you're talking about Pocono. Uh, I said this many times, but I'll repeat it in 1986. Uh, Michael and I were driving a 500, and my younger son, Jeff, was driving a supporting race, which was like at the Indy Lights on a Saturday, and he was on pole for that race. He won that race. Michael was on pole for the 500, and I won the 500. So between the three of us, we cleaned house at our home track. Now, Ellie, can you want anything more, you know, out of your sport? And... Uh, and so, uh, there are so many other events that um, I'm so proud of uh, as far as the family. You know, four of us competed in Indianapolis 500 at uh, two years in a row, you know, that uh, and of the same family, You know, never happened before or since. Uh, Michael and I uh, have been on podium in an IndyCar race 15 times, father and son. And, you know, things like that. So again, when we look back, uh, Uh, there's a lot of pride and and immense satisfaction that that we've derived from our sport.
1: I think it's funny when you, when you think about father son memories or things like that, right? Most fathers will say I was a little league baseball game and you get to say, oh yeah, it was the Indianapolis 500. I mean, that's, that's really special, especially given all you went through in your childhood and and moving to the U S and kind of your family starting over here, um, I guess, is that the American dream kind of?
0: I think I'm the perfect example of the American dream. I said this over and over, and uh, I mean it because it's a fact. And uh, the opportunities that are um, out there for, for myself and uh, the rest of you know, and my brother Aldo um, were something that um, we can only be uh, grateful you know, to this country for, for embracing us to some degree uh, and, um, and providing that for us, because, uh, again, right after the war, things, uh, were not, um, very fluid, you know, in Italy, and especially when we became refugees from our own area. Um, so, uh, again, yeah, I'm very grateful to this, to this country, believe me.
1: Mario, uh, part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you is obviously the immense success you've had and your family has had, but we share uh, somewhat of a connection in um, a connection to colon cancer. I lost my dad after an eight-year battle to stage four colon cancer. Um, we felt very lucky to have that long with him after his diagnosis. But would you mind sharing your connection to the disease?
0: Well, that goes back to uh, my nephew John uh, when he was uh, when he he found out that he actually was diagnosed with uh, yes, uh, force force stage four colon cancer. Um, he as a private individual as he is, uh, he decided to go public with it because he thought that maybe he would help someone along the way, you know, to just go get checked. And that's why even today to have this foundation check it for Andretti. Uh, and I think quite honestly, uh, along the way, I'm sure they saved some lives. Uh, his sister, Mary Jo, uh, had like five polyps when she, and she was, you know, in her forties yet, which it's recommended late forties, you know, early fifties. Uh, John was 53 when he was diagnosed and, and we kept harping. I mean, and myself, you know, that I uh, say, go, go, go. We're all so busy, you know, too busy. And uh, 53, if he would have done it like two years before, he would still be with us. And he knew that. Uh, so he says I'm. I'm gonna try to see if I can help some someone else, and and he paid with his life, uh, you know, b- by uh, being somewhat negligent, quite honestly, and to his own admission. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that's one type of cancer that um, that you can um, you can deal with, you know, if you find find it early enough. You know, it's uh, uh, so uh, again, it just. Uh, um I, I say um, it's admirable that he did that, quite honestly, but he saw the need of it for it. Yeah,
1: I think it's a, a disease that's not, I always say it's not sexy to talk about the, the check that you have to go through a colonoscopy. Um, I'm actually 26, and because of my family history, I went and, and got a colonoscopy because I just, I wanted to make sure. You know, you never really know what's going on until you get it checked. So um, I can tell you, and I'm sure you've had one too, the process is not nearly as miserable as everyone tries to make it out to be. But it is, like you said, it can save your life. And the alternative is is, uh, so terrible. Um, And I think what he did with his message and the platform that he had and what Check It for Andretti is doing is so important. So um, I thank you and your family for being open about it because it it does take courage to share that.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, Like I said, uh, John being a very, very private person, I mean, he saw the need for that and uh, against Kudos to him and uh, his family is continuing uh, you know, to obviously uh, be vigilant, but not only that to to press on. So um, this legacy that he had uh, will continue to be able to uh, to, to keep pre- presence. How important it is to be uh, to, to, to just be checked and uh, early enough.
1: I appreciate your, your openness in talking about it. Um. The one thing I wanted to kind of end on is I'm seeing, uh, at least here in Pennsylvania, kind of the the overall rise of motorsports in the area and the influence that these drivers can have. And it's always been such a strong community. But do you feel like NASCAR, IndyCar, do you see a growth from when you started to now? Have things gotten more popular? The platform's bigger? Uh, What do you think about the growth?
0: Well, there has been growth, of course. Uh, I mean, it's uh, something over the years, but uh, uh, at the same time, I think uh, we've seen some new energy even within the fan base uh, since, you know, we were shut down like uh, most of last year uh, where, um, you know, the seasons went on without spectators, basically, in the 20 to 2020 season. And um, and many of uh, these, uh, you know, fans were chomping at the bit, you know, and, and I've seen that, Just the last IndyCar race that I was to at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, which NASCAR is going to be there this weekend. Um, I mean, it was awesome, just so much energy. And uh, you know, there you have all these berms, you know, with uh, you know so many fans. I kept saying the hills are alive. It was just just a great thing. Um, Just uh, just uh, driving through, getting into the paddock and so forth. You could hardly move. Uh, so that's what we like. And, and again, uh, maybe, uh, the fact that, that, we were deprived of that, the fans were deprived of that. Maybe all of a sudden as a man, and we want to get it back. So, uh, it, it's great for the sport, I mean, all sports, you know, that they all sports are looking for that because, uh, let's face, uh, uh, for the players, for the drivers for in any sport. I mean, uh, you want to show off, you want to show off to your fans. The fans, I mean, are all important fans will never know how important they are when they show their energy and, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, I mean, they're long enough to, to, have that appreciation, quite honestly. And, uh, so it's great that, uh, things are getting back to, uh, to what we like.
1: You've done a lot in in your years and in racing and, you know, now in management and things like that. Is there anything left on the bucket list? Anything you, you haven't done that you gotta, you gotta get out to.
0: No, I think. Uh, I, I mean, but honestly, I think I'm just happy that I'm uh, able to continue to be part of it. That, uh, I'm uh, I'm driving this thing, like you see right over there. You know, <laughs> see, you know, I, uh, pretty much every uh, IndyCar weekend and things like that. So um, I, I, you know, my my satisfaction now is watching my family uh, involved and Mark, my son Michael. It's uh, very ambitious with all the teams that he has, uh, you know, and very dis- all the various disciplines. Uh, so, again, we're still part of uh, what has been, you know, my life on the professional side. And, uh, and that's it. That's all I really need. I think uh, I probably uh, accomplished more than I deserve, and in, in, in mainly because I dodged so many bullets. And that's not because, you know, I'm any better than anybody else. I've been luckier. And I take nothing for granted. So I was able to retire my own own terms, you know, which is huge. It's been huge for so many years, but uh, the safety of the sport is enjoying today is wonderful uh, because our drivers obviously have every chance of, uh, you know, having long careers and everything and ending their careers on their own terms. So a lot of good things happen in the sport and I'm just happy to continue to be part of it.
1: You're too humble for your own good. Mario Andretti, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, Allie. Thanks for having me.
1: Want more of these interviews? We've talked to Cowboys first round draft pick Michael Parsons, NFL Network's Kim Jones, and Hershey Bears head coach Spencer Carberry. You can watch our full episodes on our website, abc27.com. Click on sports, and then the Sports Extra podcast, or listen wherever you find podcasts. What an incredible conversation with Mario Andretti. We are so grateful for his time. Um, I thought he was really insightful about what it was like growing up in Italy and immigrating to the United States. The American dream part of it was like, it gave all of us chills when we listened to it. Um, So I thought that was incredible. But for me, what was so important about our conversation and uh, a big motivator besides talking about his success and his perspective on racing right now was to talk about his nephew, John Andretti. And you can hear kind of the emotion and it felt like it was difficult for him to talk about it only because it it is so recent. Um, in a sense, it's been about a year since John actually passed. Um, but what he did for the sport, how beloved he was by so many, um, for him to go public with a colon cancer diagnosis. Um, I mentioned it in the interview and I'll mention it again. My dad battled stage four colon cancer for eight years. Um, and it was a battle that not everyone in our lives knew about because it was so personal. Um, and he felt, I don't want to say shame, that's not correct. It's It was just, it wasn't something he was comfortable talking about because it's not like a sexy cancer. Not that any cancer is sexy, right? But we can talk about breast cancer all day, every day. We see pink everywhere. There's all these events and people talk about it. And rightfully so, because now there's an over a 99% survival rate in breast cancer communities because there's uh, clear information about prevention. There's clear information about how to get tested, about how to get treated, uh, preventative treatment for women who have a history of breast cancer. There's so much research and understanding around that disease that now it's so rare for people to die from that disease. And then you have colon cancer, which is the second leading cause of cancer deaths in the United States. And it used to be a disease that uh, a lot of people in their eighties would suffer with and and they would uh, pass away from the disease, which is obviously still tragic. But they're finding that the fastest growing rate of colon cancer in the country is in people under 50. You know, 30 to 50 years old, you're seeing people like Trey Mancini who uh, is 29 years old, is one year removed from beating uh, his stage three colon cancer. But he was diagnosed, I think, right before his 28th birthday um, and, and really had no symptoms other than the fact that he was kind of fatigued during spring training. So I don't mean to make this like a whole colon cancer Uh, podcast but I think what Mario and I both talked about uh, privately and then again on the interview is that you have to get checked you have to get screened it's so simple Um, I mentioned it I got screened at 26 years old because I wanted to know After everything I saw my dad go through, after all the surgeries and the chemo and the radiation that he went through, I just wanted to make sure I knew what was going on with my body. And knowing that you don't have symptoms in stage one and stage two of colon cancer, I just wanted to get that baseline. And the relief that you get when the doctor calls you and says, hey, you're clear. Now I don't need another colonoscopy for 15 years. Um, That's something I'm incredibly grateful for. And I just want to urge everyone. And Mario said the same thing. Get screened. Uh, the prep, not that bad. It was a lot of Gatorade and that's about it. Um, and then it's over. and the actual procedure, I, I've you know you under anesthesia, um, mostly so you don't move, nothing hurts, nothing, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I was out and up within 10 minutes. like that's how long it took. So uh, if you listen to anyone, uh, listen to Mario Andretti, listen to his family story, pay attention to what happened to John Andretti, pay attention to what happened to Mark Burby, my dad, um, and get yourself screened check it for Andretti we love the message um, and now I'm gonna bring in producer Shiner so I stop talking about colon cancer but um, you were here for the interview yeah he was incredible No, he
2: was awesome I mean like you said when he talked about being the, the epitome of the American dream I mean I, I'm getting goosebumps I thinking about it again and just how sharp he was and I mean obviously this guy's been dealing with the media for a very long yes. time so he knows how to handle himself but it was just a great conversation and and the guys insightful and you know, one of the biggest takeaways is he, he talked about how John, he found out too late. And that was the reason why he wanted to make it public, because when you find out too late, it is too late.
1: And I think it's something that a lot of people think is going to be a lot more difficult than it actually is. And and now doctors recommend to get checked at 45, which is a little bit earlier than it used to be even a year ago, two years ago, because of what I talked about, the fact that so many young people are now battling mm-hmm. the disease at such late stages. Um,
2: and if you catch it early, usually 100%. the survival rate's great. You exactly. know what I mean? So that, that's what it's all about with the Andrea right. checks and whatnot. And you part
1: know. of the the colonoscopy procedure, again, I'm not a doctor, but I went through it is they look for things like polyps that can become cancer. And while they're doing this check, they can remove those for you right away. And so I just think it's, it's so simple. It's so easy. Um, and it's so important because the alternative is, um, Terrible, honestly. Like yeah. either
2: I mean, the the ultimate sacrifice, essentially. It is. You know? No, yeah.
1: it is. So, um, anyways, we talk a lot about a lot of things here, and I don't mm-hmm. mean to get too super serious about it, but that is one, as you guys all know, for those of you who have followed the podcast, that I'm personally so invested in, um, and it was really, I love, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be colon cancer. It can be uh, racial inequality. It can be anything that you feel so passionate about. Um, you know human rights like any of these things and i love when athletes or coaches or whatever use their platform to just spread awareness not preach not you know make it so that everyone must agree with them but just share the information you've learned through your life you have this platform you should use it
2: yeah and he obviously did and is making great things with it but i mean just going back mario was awesome he was just a great interview and just a really nice guy so personable and it was it was an honor to have him on the pod
1: and it's not even a stretch Shiner he lives in Pennsylvania
2: Nazareth all the way right oh
1: my goodness and that's (laughs) the thing that's crazy we talk about this every week but there's so many connections here and we're so grateful for everyone for their time um but we'd be remiss this is a sports podcast and we are right in the middle of uh, the last little playoff push here for the NBA and Shiner It gets more and more disappointing each round we go on.
2: Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the Sixers and their woes. I mean, this has just been an unreal playoff run here with just players going down, and I have some names I want to drop here on my 27 takes. I
1: was going to say, so Shiner's going to get 27 seconds to try and get through all of the names of injured players, and Shiner, I would like you to go ahead and start right now.
2: All right, so I'm not even going to name probably all of them, but names like Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, uh, LeBron James, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Mike Conley. These are all all-star level players that have been injured during the playoffs or prior to the playoffs and are not representing them their teams. This might be the most watered-down playoffs with stars that we have ever seen, and I, I just can't believe it.
1: I think it's a it's when you think about, OK, one player, two players, you're like, all right, that's going to happen. Like it's it's competitive. Sports there's 16 at the teams
2: level. and there's like 14 stars. I mean, that's ridiculous.
1: And then you have Trey Young missing a game. You have Yeah. And I'm even honest,
2: Giannis and Trey that happened. Right. We record this on a Wednesday that happened last night. Right. And the, the night prior with Trey Young. Uh, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. The fact that. People come to see these people play. Now, is it because of the 70-game condensed schedule? Yeah. A lot of people are saying that, but, you know, like Kyrie Irving fell on a guy's foot. Right. You can't say 72 right. games in a limited amount of time did that. But maybe the fatigue from going through this condensed season has led to people getting injured easier. I mean, Giannis's right. knee went the wrong direction, not because he played back-to-back games, but
1: is it fatigue Is, is it fatigue it, yeah,
2: and the, and yeah. the ligaments are just weaker because they've been playing so much. And it, yeah. it's just, it's a shame because I mean you have all these stars that are trying to get their name. And, and the, the ones I feel for like Chris Paul, he went into the, the COVID protocol, but yet in the same regard, like now that my Sixers are out of it, I'm rooting for Chris Paul because I think he's completely underrated as a, as a point guard and a star in this league never gets the respect that he, he deserves. But if for some reason the Suns end up winning, I guarantee there's going to be some guy blowing hot air saying, oh, well, he didn't have to play against LeBron. He didn't have to play against AD. Like, no, he still might have the opportunity to win a championship, but it just doesn't have the same gravitas as it would if all of these stars were playing in every single playoff game. Well, I
1: think we go back to that word that I'm shaping this whole podcast around and and it's dominance. And when you see the playoffs, as I smack my mic, um, you you want – dominance like you want to come to see the stars you want to see the best of the best of the best and find out who is the best of all of those and and when you don't have that i'm not saying it takes anything away because someone still has to win um but it does it kind of loses it i think about this too uh this week we lost serena williams in wimbledon because she slipped on the grass and injured herself she was in tears i mean how often do you see that woman in she tears? wasn't
2: the only one too i think there were two injuries on center court right. that they've been talking about this for Decades I feel right. like and now you're having people go down and, and what's a bigger name in tennis than Serena Williams
1: and, and going for her 24th major I mean like, just like all these different things where now you think about Remember when when everything was happening with Tiger Woods Before the accident and he was out for a while and the back surgeries and all that and they said this is going to hurt golf Because you get the casual fans to watch mm-hmm. when there's a superstar Serena Williams is the Tiger Woods of tennis if not even bigger than Tiger Woods mm-hmm. is. And so you you people tune in to watch her because it's like, what can Serena Williams do now? What is she going to do? And then when you don't have her, tennis fans are obviously still going to watch Wimbledon. A lot of people are going to watch Wimbledon, but that casual fan, they're not going to pay attention no, anymore. No.
2: I mean, she has a, a worldwide following, right? you know, and let alone how huge she is in the States. But uh, yeah, I mean, but now sports are NBA. never as fun right. if you don't have your stars. Just like right. when you the two years that michael jordan went into retirement some people say that houston never really would have won those championships me being a jordan fan i probably <laughs> I agree, agree. <laughs> however i mean Hakeem yeah. olajuwon was there and he won <laughs> you know he was it still writes. one of the greatest of all time so it allows it, it says a lot to do and the sixers went through this with yeah. how deep your team is you know right. we saw when Embiid went down team was a shell 50, of itself 50, yeah. when you have ben simmons playing poorly no one else could step up. Yep. You need your stars to carry your teams right. and it just shows that the teams that were smart and that are deep and can play an 11 man rotation as opposed to six or seven guys, right. they're the ones that are going to, you know, make it through this this crazy injury run.
1: Yeah, I do think it's it's one of those things where again, it doesn't take away from whatever team wins because Yes, if Jordan was on the court, it's still hard to do. Exactly,
2: you gotta win.
1: And you still got there with your star, you know, whatever. So everyone has the star. Everyone has the guy. It's the way, especially the NBA is built, is you have to have one. Um, And now, or two,
2: or three at this point.
1: Hopefully, (laughs) I mean, hopefully three. It seems like those are the only teams that can actually put it together and win. We saw what happened with the Sixers when one of your stars was out. And look
2: at what happened with the Nets. I mean, they lost two of their big three in this. The series, and you know, I mean, as good of a player as Kevin Durant is, can't do it alone. And basketball is one of the easiest sports to do it alone, a la LeBron James and some of his early uh, ventures in the league. But you know, but when your team is built around needing those three guys, and you lose two thirds of it, you're, you're just you're at a loss.
1: I will be interested to see too, like where the league goes from this, because I think all sports leagues were in a really tough position. How much, I mean, the the um, AHL here locally is going to start trying to figure that out this year. And they said, we don't really care what happened in this 2020-2021 season in terms of number. They didn't care that they played a really short season because they wanted to make sure that the rest was the same. Yeah, for the guys. everybody has to
2: get back on schedule now. Right. I mean, even the NBA is going to still have – Somewhat of a quick turnaround to right. get back to, to their normal then. times of all-star breaks and when the playoffs start right. and everything else. And I think baseball is even, you know, coming from off of their shortened season. I mean, I saw something in baseball today. I think there's 12 people that are hitting above 300 right now. Now, that's a completely different yes. story. But yes, but is that lingering effects of not playing 162 last year? Yeah. Well, and, and these guys just don't quite have their rhythm because right. baseball is a year to year thing that you yes. need to continue to keep up with your craft.
1: It's that 10,000 reps thing. Like yeah. baseball, you really like you have to see the pitch 10,000 mm-hmm. times. And and I think I find it interesting and that's a great segue. I just find it interesting how all of these leagues are going to have to deal with it's, it. We all thought like, Oh, we'll get to 2021 and things will be normal. And now we're seeing the NBA. Things are very much not normal. We're seeing it in baseball. <laughs> The trains come off the rails in baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think all leagues are going to have to figure out, like, this wasn't a one-year fix. It might be, like, a five-year fix of trying to get back onto that schedule, get players back into where they need to be. Um, And I'll do my 27-second take because it's right about baseball. Shiner, it's like like you were born to podcast. You know how to (laughs) segue. Hey,
2: you know, some of us are born with it.
1: All right, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to go right now. This sticky stuff situation in baseball is something else. And I find the comedy in it just a little bit only because you watch Max Scherzer, right? And he gets checked, what was that? Three times against uh, against the Phils And he's frustrated and he's mad. And we call him Mad Max for a reason. The dude's taken off his clothes. He's taken off his pants. He's made some really wild comments on social media. But if we're trying to speed up the game of baseball, why are we allowing? multiple checks i don't get it i i thought okay this is gonna be a major league problem and i went to the harrisburg senator's game on tuesday and i'm just blowing right through this i finished <laughs> my take but i need to keep going they checked those pitchers late in the game They've, they both gave up like three home runs like I, I mean it's not like they were lights out pitching in the senator's game um and they're checking those pitchers I think I saw it three, maybe four times combined, and it's like, look, I get it. The pitching is a problem, and you're listening to guys like a couple of the Red Sox pitchers talking about having to like relearn how to throw um, and relearn like you know the the sweat and how to like get that off your body so you can actually throw the ball and not hit people in the head and you know whatever. This con- this concept is wild to me because I get what baseball is trying to do. I understand that they want more offense. I get it. But everything is contradictory, right? We want to speed up the game, but in between every inning, we're gonna check the pitcher. In between every pitch, we can we can check the we can do all these different things. We have managers out of the dugout all the time now. Um, more offense means a slower game. It's more exciting because there's more scoring, but it's a slower game when there's a lot of hits. Last night, uh, Atlantic League baseball, the Long Island Ducks and the Lancaster Barnstormers. Shiner, the final score, mind you, nineteen to eighteen. You yeah. know how long that game took? It started at 6.30 and it ended at 11.15.
2: That's insane. I mean, obviously. And it was a regular,
1: like, oh, like nine innings. Yeah. That's it?
2: That wasn't like they played 18 nope. or anything.
0: Like <laughs>
1: They just, it, there was, yeah. there was not, or it was like nine runs in the first inning between the two teams. Like, it just, it was one of those things where it's like, yes, offense is great. I love offense. Nothing is cooler than seeing someone smash a 430 foot home run. Like, you know, we love this. But things are really slowing down right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, it even happened in the Phillies game last night. I mean, Jose Alvarado was in the middle of trying to do a, a two-inning save, uh, as the Phillies have had in their <laughs> uh, their bullpen, their, their struggles. But they actually pulled him aside because, one, 97 degrees out, yeah, pouring sweat, takes the rosin bag up one arm, takes the rosin bag up another arm, all of a sudden – People in the dugout are going crazy. They make him wipe off his arms. He had to stop in the middle of trying to get this save, gave up a run. And then, as he's walking off the field, they come and check his glove again. I mean, and this is a rosin bag, which they're allowed to use. But because he put it on both arms, there's something fishy about it. And I mean, one, the sticky stuff has been around since the 1800s. You know, I mean, We've heard other players say, oh, this is something has been passed down from veteran to veteran of how you can get the extra grip on the ball and all this. I mean, if you remember the Phillies of the 90s with yeah. the pine tar all over the place, you yep. know, I mean, grip is a thing you need in baseball because, right. one, you're gripping a ball or a bat. But I think conditions have a lot to do with it, too. Right. When, when you're pitching in 70% humidity and it's almost 100 degrees outside, I mean... I My my hands are sweating right now know, trying I to know. do this podcast. I can't imagine trying to throw a yeah. baseball 100 miles an hour, you know? So at, at what point is it truly cheating? Right. You know? I mean, and this can, can even go back to when we were talking steroids. Everybody thought all the hitters were on steroids. Well, you know what? The pitchers were too. So isn't it right. an even playing field or not? Now, this right. makes it look like the pitchers are getting the advantage. But as I just said a little while ago, there's only 12 batters above right. 300 right now. So. Right. Is it really the pitchers just benefiting from this right or you know is, is offense starting to tail off in the mlb
1: well we're also seeing it baseball is probably the sport right now that's trying to reinvent itself the most without completely abandoning the game um there are other smaller leagues like like a pll that's kind of reinventing lacrosse but when it comes to baseball they're in, uh, after the all-star break for the Atlantic league, which is kind of this experimental league that, that MLB has partnered with, they're moving the rubber back, you know, yeah. and it's all to give batters another fraction of a second to react to the ball. And they've said th- the claim, the MLB experts claim that it won't affect the pitching motion at all. Like, you know, throwing that extra foot won't matter as much, but pitchers have to relearn that they have to relearn, not using, you know, any sticky substance, batters now will have to adjust to having extra time which i mean it can go both ways yes you have more time to react but you're used to the same reaction speed for everything and now it's going to change so I, i'm curious like i love i love baseball i'm a huge baseball fan and i love that they're thinking about these things but i feel like everything is like it's different like hey we need to speed up the game but now we can't do this and now we need to do that we need to do more of this and it's like I get it. They they want younger fans. They want all these things. If it, it truly makes sense to me that they want to try and attract fans back to the game because they are losing fans. However, I'm not really sure this is the way to do it. Yeah. While it is funny for social media to watch all these pitchers get ridiculously angry. and
2: But now you're slowing it down even more. Right. You know, I mean, the whole point is to speed no up the process. And
1: no one's talking about the game. They're talking yeah. about steroids or sticky stuff or competitive advantage. And sports are the unique aspect of our lives where... Everyone is trying to find an edge. You know, I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, I fully will acknowledge that the Patriots spygate thing was a thing. I'm not Cheaters. one of the I'm not one of the de, but I'm not <laughs> I one know, of the I deniers. Know. No, I understand. However, yeah. you know, deflated football is damn marine. I was like, yeah, we all did that, you know. Um and, and again, it's like, how far can you push the rules to get that competitive advantage? Some teams will go farther than others, and other teams don't or they don't get caught or whatever the case may be and so players are doing the same thing yeah, if you can,
2: always try to get an advantage if you can of you course. know i mean i was always told i was a swimmer and yeah the the fastest start you could have was a false start that wasn't caught
0: right and, and it, <laughs> right? i mean
2: yeah, that's true yeah right? if the judge doesn't see you leaving early and it's legal you're good but you you still have to adhere to the rules. Right. So, when you, you get
1: know, caught, okay, I false started yeah. soccer, same thing. You're always like tugging on people's jerseys. You're always trying to give that elbow, you know, when you're all next to each other. Um, and that's the sport that I played the most. And it's like, we all did it. Was yeah. it, was it against the rules? Yes. When you got caught, did you throw a fit? No, you tried not to, you know, try
2: to see some of the QB hits that Terry Bradshaw used to take back in the day and tell me that the Brady rule, it was for Brady, you know, what but, I mean, like, yeah, some of these guys might have brain damage because they used to get slammed to the ground. And we're changing those rules for the better for safety, obviously. But with time, you, you start to make changes that hopefully are for the right purpose. Now with baseball, we're trying to speed up the game. But yet we institute. All these mandatory checks now Replays. we have replay yes. that is if you want to talk about oh slowing down God. a game yeah what's worse for a pitcher who may have just given up a home run that could stew. be a ground roll double <laughs> yeah. and now he has to get back into his throwing motion warm up and yeah. you're 20 minutes later that's not speeding up the game at all
1: and that's and that's the thing is as we as sports leagues try and tackle this right we talk about all the pressures that are on them with just getting back from a covid delay now it's how do we introduce technology but not too much technology do we do robo do we not um you talk about the nba like how do we keep our stars healthy i mean there's so many things that are on these executives and, and on these leagues and on these players associations but i'm curious to see because i think we're finding that the goal is to level the playing field as much as possible And I don't know that we'll have the same dominant level of athletes if we truly level the playing field, because do I think that Tom Brady threw a football more deflated better than not deflated? Yeah, like every quarterback. But Tom Brady's the most dominant quarterback in all of NFL history. So... I don't know. Dominance is an interesting thing for me because I think it's so special when you find it. I think it's so special what we're watching with Kyle Larson right now in the way he's running at NASCAR. It doesn't matter where he starts. He's going to finish in the top two. Um, I think we saw it with Mario Andretti way back when, you know, there was no social media. There wasn't all these things. And he was such a big household name. How are people and athletes and coaches and teams going to break through a level playing field? somewhere where you can get information every single minute of every single day. There's so many different stars and so many different sports that we now have access to. I think it's an interesting concept in sports right now.
2: Yeah, I I don't have an answer for you on what the (laughs) the right path is, but, I mean, hopefully we can come to somewhat of a – an assimilation of what is good for the sports. That being said, the sports, that's, the a, that's an actual <laughs> term I came up with
1: the sports of uh, the sports things. Uh, but that being said, this is what, this is why we have podcasts is why we have radio shows. So we can debate these things until we're blue in the face. If you want to connect to our podcast, you have to go to our website, ABC 27.com, click on sports and then the sports extra podcast. We have all of our full episodes and oh my goodness, we are assembling a who's who of central Pennsylvania. We've talked to Chicago bears head coach, Matt Nagy, uh, NFL sports, star hopefully signing with the team again LaShawn McCoy we talked to Michael Parsons before he got drafted and that conversation was awesome Um, that full one is on our website too so so many different episodes and and so much for everyone right a little bit of things uh, no matter what your interests are if you like food listen to Matt Nagy if you like uh, having a chip on your shoulder listen to Michael or LaShawn McCoy they're both good at that Uh, So anyways, our website, abc27.com, for producer Shiner, silent producer Tyler, Logan Reaver, who had the day off, and myself, thank you for listening or watching to the Sports Extra podcast. Thanks for making it to the end of the episode if you've gotten this far you clearly must like what you've heard so could you subscribe rate the show and leave us a review